If you have your Bible lights, I invite you to open them to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Genesis 25. And uh, we'll continue our study through this. We start off here in chapter 25 last week, of course, the death of Abraham. God uh, allowing the place of the dead to be called Abraham's bosom, the side of comfort, those who died in faith, and of course the torment side as we just watched, uh, the place of, of punishment awaiting the great white throne judgment. Now, people have often asked, why does God wait till the end of this life, the end of the millennial reign of Christ, the books are open and everybody's judged according to their works. It's because just because a person dies doesn't end the wickedness that they have started. You think of the cults that maybe when they were started had a couple dozen people in them. Now there might be millions of people. Think of the judgment of the person who started that lie to mislead people from the truth. Think about the people who perpetrate the lie of evolution. Where DNA, they know scientifically that DNA, that the DNA uh, keeps things from transmuting. Yet all established facts in science, whether it's the laws of thermodynamics or in the medical field of DNA, are thrown into the trash can and embracing evolution uh, because it's a religion about nothing. Just take uh, lightning hitting a swamp, some squiggly things happen, a couple billion years, here we all are. Well, again, there's a lot of things that they don't tell you in the evolutionary ideas. One of them is the diameter of the sun that they've been measuring since 1850. Based on the second law of thermodynamics, when you light a candle, you come back in an hour, the candle is smaller. Why? Burns off energy. They've been measuring the sun. It's burning off energy. It's getting smaller. But if you go back the billions of years you need for evolution, you got the sun out past Mars. Earth would have been completely burned up. There's no time for it. You have the moon moving away from the earth a couple inches a year. If you go back the billions of years you need for evolution, you got the moon circling the earth at 12 foot. Of course, it couldn't happen. Gravity would pull it into the earth. When we really look at the universal clock, some 30 of them, it screams that evolution is impossible. But people who perpetrate that lie talk people out of their faith. Many Bible seminaries, Bible colleges, people go into college wanting to be ministers, wanting and loving God, come out of Bible colleges completely with their faith destroyed because of ungodliness within within the system. So as we look at this, the great white throne judgment is at the end. All things have made fruition. Here's the good news this morning. If you're not a Christian, God will lay an axe to your past, and you need that. You think of all the the, uh, drugs that you sold to people that you know that ruined their life. God will lay an axe to that. You think of those things of your past that haunt you as you lay your head on your pillow at night. God lays an axe to that. You need that forgiven. The Bible says, as King David said, his promises are new every morning. You need those new promises. And this is the way it was concerning Abraham and concerning Isaac. Now, as we look at verse 19, we'll pick up the story of this. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham begot Isaac. Boy, I like that for a genealogy. Isn't that great? (laughs) Two people mentioned here. Now it goes on. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, 
the Syrian of Perdan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, a couple of things real quickly here. He had been married to Rebekah for 20 years and no children. Now, the Bible tells us here, he was 40 years old when he married her. And now we find that he's 60 years old. So he uh, went 20 years without children. And it bothered him because he knew the promises to his dad, Abraham, that from you a great nation would come. But the Bible here says, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord. It's interesting, God heard Isaac's prayer. God hears your prayers as well. Whatever it is, as impossible as it may seem, as as crazy as it might be, God hears your prayers. Now notice it says, the children struggle together within her. Now, a lot of times people say, well, it's just a fetal mass, therefore it's all right to kill it. Well, that's not what we find in the Bible. This is why you'll find, again, the philosophy of the world the governments of the world, and those who love God and the governments that are patterned after God are diametrically opposed in the way they view people. Your constitution, your Bill of Rights say that you were endowed by a creator. Remember that. Evolution, on the other hand, says you're a cosmic accident when lightning hit a swamp. The Communist Party has embraced evolution. Because there is no God in the Communist Party. The state is God. And in order to be a good communist in Russia, you have to deny God, embrace the state as your God, and then you will be granted the better jobs. This is the way it works. Unfortunately, today in America, people are so brainwashed. As a a defected KGB agent in 1984 said, you can actually take people in America today that have been brainwashed by the system, take them to the Soviet Union, let them look at a gulag, and they still will deny what they've been taught in college. That's how bad it is. Because you see, again, you were created by God. And if you're created by God... You're created for a purpose. No one's ever been like you ever before on this earth. No one will ever be like you ever again on this earth. You're not just a worker bee in the communist system. You are a Christian created by God. You're an individual created by God. And that's even what our forefathers recognized as they came to this land. Because again, Communism says you're part of the commune. You're just a worker bee. Get in line. And when you're wore out, go do your civic duty and die. There is no life hereafter. The words of John Lennon, no heaven above us, no hell below us, above us, only sky. Do you see how it all plays together? Sure, it's part of the philosophy of the world. We as Christians better better get aware of what's going on. When you watch the riots in Portland... And as you see the governor of the state of Oregon praising the city burning, you realize that we have absolute insane people running our governments now. You look at Seattle the same way, the chop shop, downtown Seattle. As this was burning, as these businesses were overran, the governor applauding the anarchy. Friends, we are in the end days. And if you haven't noticed lately, 
You're valuable to the kingdom of God. It is not random happenstance. It is absolutely what's going on. People are saying what's going on. Do I believe Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. But Black Lives Matter movement has been overtaken by the Communist Party. Look at what they stand for. Getting rid of your police. Really? Do you know they say that crime now in every place where they have defunded the police now is skyrocketing. New York City, which was always a problem, now has doubled, tripled in the crime now. And that's just the beginning. Where do you think America is headed in the next few years? I don't know, friends. But if it survives... It will only be God's grace, and it will only be because of you. Because you know what's going on. We're a voice that has been stifled over the last 50 years. When Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat, said, separation of church and state, if you talk about government, you'll lose your 501c3. Johnson did that. Well, Trump reversed that and said churches can talk freely about government. Thank the Lord. And so we can. We've been the silent majority. We've, 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 we've been gagged. Now, the colleges, which are also 501c3s, never abided by what Johnson said. They've always been influencing people into the Communist Party. You say, Mike, where are you going with all this? I'm saying this. We are at the end of a crossroad. I believe that if Jesus does not come soon, the world that we are going to see, you need to get off the fence and get into Christ. Because it's going to take those who are strong in faith to make it. We are going to need each other like we have never need each other before. Yesterday, the state of Nevada said, casinos can stay open, but churches must close. What's going on? Friends, the beginning of the end is here. Well, I'm sure glad we're in America where we're not persecuted. Oh, really? Really? Do you see what's going on? That if you do not, if you go to church in California and you sing, you can be arrested and shut down. But three blocks over, you can have riots, no social distancing, no nothing at all, break windows out, and that's perfectly applauded and condoned by the, by the government. Or at least they should say the governor. Friends, we're in a time of anarchy. Now, we're in Idaho. Thank God we're in a sheltered little bubble here. People listening all over America are going, really, let's go there. You know, I don't know. But the thing is, we are isolated from what's really going on. You say, well, Mike, where does that leave us? You need to be aware first of the time that you're in. Number two, you've got to realize that God has a plan. And just as, Joseph, just as Isaac prayed and said, God, my wife is barren, please do something, God heard him. God will answer your prayers as well. Being about our father's business. Let's look at this. And the children struggled together with inner. You see, they weren't just fetal balls of mass. They were people. 
They didn't even wait to get out of the womb, mom and dad, before they started fighting in the womb. Now, I can't imagine what was going on inside of Rebecca's stomach, but I'll bet you that was one spice of ball. They're in there duking it out. Now, notice what the Bible here says. They were struggling within her, literally fighting within her. So she said, if all is well, why am I this way? I can't imagine probably Joseph, Esau, in the womb, beating each other up. I can just see her laying down there at night. And, and, and Isaac reaching your hand over on her, on her stomach. And all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> whoa, what's going on in there? You see, the Bible here tells us, if all is well, why am I this way? So she went and inquired of the Lord. By the way, when you don't know what to do, go to God. It's real temptation to call friends on the phone, look at the uh, columns, go to the internet, all those things. Go to God. He's going to tell you straight. You need to know it straight from God. So she went to God and the Lord said to her, I love that. If you like to underline things in your Bible, underline it. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your stomach. Two people shall be separated from your body. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. That's pretty unheard of. It was always the older had the birthright. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first one came out, and he was red. He was like a hairy garment all over. Little baby baboon, here you go. The Bible says he was red. It's like he had a red sweater on. Now, I probably was kind of one weird-looking kid, okay? <laughs> Here's your kid. He's red. Looks like he's wearing a red sweater. This is the first one, okay? Esau is what he was named because he was red. Well, at the first came out, he was red like a hairy garment all over. He called his name Esau, which literally means hairy. Maybe that's where Harry came from. I don't know. But Harry, they call him Fuzzy. Afterward, his brother came out. And his hand took hold of Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, literally, Jacob means heel catcher. It was not a good word. And why a lot of times parents in the Bible would name their kids some strange things I don't know. Named him Jacob. Jacob was not a good name. Jacob meant deceitful, heel catcher, swindler. He named it that. Hey, yeah, you, you know, you look like a swindler. Okay, I'll call you a swindler. You know, it's like giving birth to a kid. Mom, what should we call him? Like, well, I don't, let's call him bank robber. I don't know. We're going we're gonna to name him something. And so he was 60 years old when she bore them. By the way, if you're single, you're older. It's never too, it's never too late. And here he says, 60 years old, got married when he was 40. 20 years he had waited for kids. And so the boys grew. Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man Dwelling in tents. Now, this word mild man, 
the old King James uses a different word, but it's the same word God uses to describe Job when under interrogation from Satan, where he said he's an upright, upstanding man in all of his ways. He was a complete individual. He was balanced is what really the Bible is saying here. And so the Bible says that Jacob was balanced. Job was a balanced man, a completed man. But uh, Esau was kind of a man of the field, kind of a wild boy. Skillful hunter, man of the field. Verse 26, Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. I guess you might say Jacob was a mama's boy. (laughs) He was. But daddy liked Esau because he brought in that beef jerky and that's some good stuff. Son, you just keep that coming. We're going to read on more about that as we, we go along. Now Jacob cooked a stew. Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that red stew, for I am very weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Um, Literally means red. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what profit shall the birthright to be to me? Hey, I'm hungry. I'm starving. Uh, I'll I'll trade my birthright for whatever. I'm going to die anyway. Now, some people believe that this, this actually in the Hebrew comes across more along the lines of it wasn't just because he was hungry. He sold his birthright. He viewed his birthright is, hey, I'm going to die anyway. So what difference does it make on the bigger scheme of things? Well, just real quickly, you as a Christian, we talked about this last week and the week before. Notice abnormalities in your life. It's where God is. And sometimes the very things that cause you the most grief, oftentimes is where God is desiring to work in your life. Those those thorns in the flesh, you might say, that's where God gets our attention. And it's those things in which we see the miracles and the power of God. Friday, I got a call on to every man and answer, or Thursday. And the, the, the fellow asked the question, he goes, why was God a God of miracles in the Bible, but not today? And I said, God is still in the miracle working business. The Bible doesn't say the miracle ceased with the apostles. But most of us don't live close enough to the edge to need a miracle in our life or for the lives of others. So as it says, again, that as he said, look, I'm about to die. I, 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 what, what good is this to me? I, I don't care. The Bible tells us that he really didn't care about things spiritual. He didn't care about the family name. He didn't care about those things. Jacob noticed this in his life, in, in I believe his brother's life. And so he said, sell me your birthright this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What good is it to me? What shall it be to me? And then Jacob said, swear to me this day. So he swore to him and sold him the birthright, sold uh, the birthright to Jacob. Two things here 
that probably need to be noted. Number one, Esau sold something that he really didn't own because the Bible said earlier the elder would serve the younger. So he really didn't own his birthright. He thought he did, but he really didn't. And rather than Jacob letting God work it out, he was wheeling and dealing the heel catcher thing, wheeling and dealing the birthright out of his brother. Number two, Jacob really didn't need to buy it, thus the mess of pottage that he gave him because it was already his. You might say the deal was a null and void deal. Jacob selling something that he really didn't own and Jacob buying something that he already had. (laughs) You look at God's economics. They're so much different than ours oftentimes. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. That's beans. Can you imagine selling your birthright for um, stew of beans? And he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, we'll read on and we'll see that the Bible says God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. People say, well, what kind of a loving God does that? One of the great understandings as a Christian, that as you study the Bible, if you don't get this, most of the Bible won't make a lot of sense. And it's very simple. God sees everything now. I don't know anything like that. I know things as they happen. I watch a football game. Is he going to catch the ball? Is he going to drop the ball? Is he going to catch it in the end zone? Is he going to step out of the end zone? Was he out of bounds? Did someone have a flag on the field? All these things I have to process momentarily as I watch something. God's not like that. God sees everything all at once. In fact, Revelation 22 says, I'm alpha and omega beginning and the end, first and the last. Okay, what's that mean? Lives in all times present. I don't know anything like that. I have a car. It's, it's a 1957 or it's a, it's a 07 Prius or whatever it might be. Everything I know has a date attached to it, a time marker that let me know what happened at that time because I like that. He sees it always. In fact, Paul says, God sees you and me seated with him right now in heavenly places. I like that. God already sees you in heaven. I think some days when we're having a a rough day, we need to see ourselves like that. God sees us in heavenly places. Well, the thing is, as we look at this, God's presence in our lives So important in these days we live. You see, Jesus died on the cross to save sinners. He died on the cross to redeem us to be his own. This morning, I pray that you understand how much God loves you. God sees everything all at once. That's why the Bible can say we are predestined in Christ. What does that mean? That is from God's perspective, not ours. From our perspective, the Bible says to preach the gospel to every creature. It doesn't say to preach the gospel to the predestinated ones. It says preach the gospel to every creature. Some of the Bible is from our perspective. Some of the Bible is from God's perspective. 
When the Bible says something like, God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau, that's from God's perspective. Because God knew the choices that Esau eventually would make. He knew what he would do. Isn't it good to know that you're in Christ today? Isn't it good to know the gospel made sense to you, that you're seated with God in heavenly places, and God's got a place for you right now, right where you are? It gives me great hope. First of all of this, Jesus saved me. Jesus saved you. And he saved us in in spite of all the mistakes that we would do. He still chose us. I like that. Doesn't that make you feel good? You know, like, like again, you know, you, uh, you know, going back to elementary school and they were picking teams. I was kind of a skinny, scrawny. Well, if you see my son, you'll know. We look like poster children for, for uh, starving children in Europe. I don't know. We were just skinny little kids. And so when it come time like football or baseball, I was the last one a lot of times that got picked. Because I was just little for my age and I was skinny and, you know, I wasn't a husky kid with big, you know. But the point is, is this. God knowing when the teams were picked that we would still drop the ball in the, in the end zone in the last few seconds of the game still chose you and me to be on his team. What does that tell you? Either God doesn't care, so I, but I know he does. Either God didn't know, but the Bible says he does. Or God is bigger than the mistakes of us dropping the ball in the end zone in the last few seconds of the game. God is bigger than the things that you've done wrong. That's why he's God. All the religions of the world, oh, Ah, man, pick your religion, pick your, pick your zoo. Get out there, sell flowers in airports. Get out there, burn incense. Get out there and feel your beads. Get out there and recite prayers. Get out there. They all tell you some way to get right with God, don't they? You, know, you, you got to give all your money. You, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to stand on your head till your eyes turn red. They got all figured out what you're going to have to do to get right with God. But only true Christianity offers something none of the other religions of the world do. God's redemptive power in your life. God fixes what's wrong with you. It isn't just that we somehow appease God. And it isn't that we do that because that's what Jesus died on the cross for. He appeased the Father because of our sins. But now God's power works through our lives and restores us. What was lacking in Joseph's, or excuse me, in in Isaac's life? No children. And so he inquired of the Lord and the Lord heard him and granted to him children. God is bigger than the things that are lacking in your life today. And the Bible says when we are in him, not that I just go willy-nilly, I want this, I want that, I'm blabbing and grabbing and I'm claiming, possessing it, uh, whatever I think I want, I get. God, you're my big heavenly Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. No. 
The Bible says when we are in his will, when we are part of what he's doing, we can ask in his name and he will give it to us. Isn't that good to know? You need that. You need something that will supply to you what you don't have that's bigger than you. And that's why Jesus, when he told the disciples, when you pray, pray in this manner, our Father. You got a daddy in heaven that loves you. You got a daddy in heaven that will restore you. And though your father on this earth may be gone, maybe you never knew your father. Maybe you had a mean father. Maybe you had a drunk father. You have a father in heaven that's good, that loves you, that will take care of you. Now, if you're not God's child, you don't belong to him. And that's a problem, isn't it? Because God is under no obligation to do anything for human beings when you're not his child. But how do I be his child? How much is it going to cost? Hey, it doesn't cost anything. The Bible says what it costs is just simply surrendering your life to him. You know, God, I don't know how much time I have left on this earth. Whatever I have, I will give to you to be about your business. And not to wind up like the video we watched of the man in hell. You see, when we understand eternity is a long time, and whatever time we have left is an opportunity for you and me to do something for God, because we become his hands, we become his feet, we become his voice in a world that is lost. I just want to encourage you today. You are not evolved sludge. You are divinely made by a creator. And even if you're not a Christian today, doesn't mean that God didn't put you on this earth for his specific purpose. But all that's required is for you to say, yes, Lord, I accept you as my savior. I accept what you did for me. Not by works, lest any man would boast, but a gift from God by simply receiving it. Now, a gift is only good if you take it. You can have the greatest gift in the world. But if you don't take it, it ain't yours. God's offering you the greatest gift ever. Eternal life in him and to have your sins forgiven. You know, having eternal life is great. It really is. Because you don't have to worry about dying anymore. But something greater than that is having your sins forgiven. Do you realize that haunting of our past kills us. Do you know that's why people drink? Do you know that's why people get stoned, loaded? You know why? Their past is bothering them. I got to feel good. I got to get a buzz on. Why do you have to get a buzz on? Because there's something I am running from or running to, but something's not right inside. And we are great in our society today of treating problems, but never treating the our symptoms, but never treating the problem. We, we don't go to the core. We, we go to the, the issue on the outside. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you can't really say God's your father because you've never surrendered your life to him. You've never asked to be adopted. You've never said, okay, I'm going to be about your business, God, from this day forward. You can surrender your life to him. We're going to pray right now. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, 
I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus today. Take what he's offered you. Not only do you escape an eternity separated from him, but you get a life worth living now. God will restore to you the years that the canker worm has eaten. Tired of the canker worm chewing on you? It's time you get right with God. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I accept you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me. And your blood covered my sins. So I repent of the foolish way I've lived. I want to live for you now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a love for the lost and boldness to speak in your name. And thank you for everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that welcome to God's family.